Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time about. for Mortgage Matters. Hey, good morning. Good morning, San Luis Obispo. We're back. We're back. I'm back. Back from a break. This feels foreign to me. Mr. Dan Podesto is in his chair, and it's been five weeks? <laughs> About, I think so. I think it's been it's the longest break I've ever had. That's awesome. Yeah. Well-deserved. Some planned, some unplanned, but um, yeah. Nonetheless. It feels a little weird. It feels a little weird to be back here. Did you like almost forget? Were you no, sipping a cup of coffee? No, it was and... the opposite. It was kind of like God where it was yeah hard to sleep a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was going to drive over to Zach Elaine this morning. Too. I thought, so you know, I, studio. I, may have moved back I made my there. way through downtown San Luis Obispo and I thought, gosh, thank, thankfully <laughs> this is now ingrained in me that I go to the right spot because mm-hmm. I could easily yeah. see myself going the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've done the show for so long, right? Yeah. 10 yeah. years. You know, that are was, we at the 10 year mark? We are. In fact, um, during my month long hiatus, we had our 10 year anniversary. I felt the, the energy, show. but I wasn't sure of the date, and I certainly didn't feel like it was my job to open the bottle of champagne. No, that's usually my job. And uh, right. let's see, our first show, our first Mortgage Matters show was a half-hour spot, Saturday. I want to say we started it at 11 a.m., and it was on April 19th, 2008. So, so we're just our... over 10 years. Yeah. Just this a... weekend, actually. Mm-hmm. Couple, uh, actually, yeah. couple, yeah, it was, well, it was, it was about, a mu- three about 10 weekends years. ago. Yeah. That was our, that would have been our 10 year anniversary show. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's a little sad to miss that one, but you know, we, the anniversary while. happened whether I was here it's or like not. It's like a dog's birthday. You can do it a month later. <laughs> the right. dog doesn't know. Just make him a sweet potato cupcake. <laughs> and you guys tell the story sometimes to the guests that, you know, off the air that, you know, you were kind of scared you weren't going to be able to fill half an oh, hour. Oh, we were horrified. And then. Well, how are we going to fill an entire half hour <laughs> yeah. talking about mortgages? And then it was an hour. Well, okay. Yeah. I, can we fill an hour? And now it's two hours, and then and we run out of time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're telling us to get off. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been a an interesting evolution to you know watch where it came from and how how horrifying it was to today, where it's just it's just part of what we do. It'd be kind of interesting if we go back somehow and find show number one. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Like I remember we had to bring yeah. we had to bring uh someone in who was an experienced radio personality to do the show interview style so mm-hmm. that you know there was a good Q&A, oh, a, good, a good back and forth. And um and so I think we did that for the first two shows, two or three shows until we got comfortable with with being on air and, yeah. and just develop, developing a format cuz we didn't really know how it was going to work and yeah. And it's just, it's kind of evolved. You know, right. we've tried to have set game plans and stuff, but it's evolved over the years. And 
morphed into what it is today? Well, in your absence, the show must go on. I've been doing this the last five yeah. weeks. Thank and you. I've by gotten the way. a real experience of, of what it means to be on the air. Every Wednesday, Thursday, I'm like, what am I going to talk about? Mm-hmm. Get some guests on. We got a great guest on today, uh, Doug Davidson from the city. We'll talk about some community development and all the housing tracks, other infill projects. So, you know, all that stuff is part of what you do. I mean, I, t- I, I tip my cap to you and Jason doing it for 10 years. You don't always have a guest on, but no. you got to have content. I mean, the, yeah. the listeners love the show because you guys touch on <coughs> the news, the mortgage matters, uh, facts, right? Uh, what's going on with, with guidelines? What's the CFPB doing? Remember when we talked about all that? I mean, think of Absolutely. all the... All the evolution that's happened just in our industry, we bring it to the public every Saturday. Well, the the comments I get too, like are you they they like the fact that you're giving out the mortgage and real estate information, but you kind of broaden it too and more to, to more financial kind of stuff too. Yeah, and a lot of people like that too. Yeah, it's a big part of anyone's household personal budget is the mortgage. It's, sure. it's probably the biggest payment, unless you got the nice new Escalade, which <laughs> I don't have, recommend I doing. It's not costing you more than your house. <laughs> well, I've seen some people in apartment <laughs> complexes that have an Escalade. Okay. Question why they do that, but they look really nice when they're out around town. Yeah. But a mortgage is a keystone part of your financial budget. We talk about credit, right? We talk about why is it important, not because the underwriter says you need to have reserves, but if you get that investment property. Let's have six months of, oh my gosh, no one's inside the house paying us rent. Yeah. All that. We want our clients to buy a house and start their portfolio of real estate, not just buy a house because they don't want to rent. Right. And yeah, and making sure they understand what it means to be a homeowner. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot more to it than just not paying a landlord rent. There's, yeah. there's a lot of other considerations and making sure that it's the right step, that that you've planned accordingly because once you're in contract as we know it happens fast it goes fast and before you know it you you are a homeowner and you got to make sure that you were well prepared and made the right decision so that's that's right. just a little one one aspect of of the show and why we do it is to arm everyone with the info um Hey, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jim. I think another thing we're really trying to do, especially this year, I feel like it's a theme now. Maybe it's because I've been on the last five weeks and I've been pushing this agenda is talking about the inventory and preparing for what's coming, you know, having your ducks in a row when this inventory that we've all been salivating over more housing options starts hitting the market. If you own a house, what do you do? You know, can you keep it as a rental? That'd be great. Do you have to sell it? What's that like? Is there three weeks in between where you live in Embassy Suites Hotel? Hope not. (laughs) We coach you through that process, you know, how to maybe sell your house after you buy the house by getting your mom or dad on the loan for the new purchase, you know, and explaining to mom and dad what that means, or just coaching you on how you can actually rent this for X and your mortgage payment will be what it is. And when you go get that other house, you know, with your job, with your new income or with the inheritance you got, this is what it's going to be like for you. Showing you real numbers is a big part of how we operate. Um, I just really like being on the show. I'm going to be happy to take a month off. Yeah, I bet. And I'm going to be going to Kauai next Saturday. Awesome. From the 19th, tw- excuse me, from the 20th to the 30th. So I'll be there for Memorial Day. It's going to be epic. Cool. Yeah. Watch out for lava, huh? 
Yeah, we're going to be uh-huh. on the south side right. of Kauai, which okay. uh, at this time should does be not have outside lava. of the uh, the lava zone. So it's a, it's a it's a bunch of islands that yeah. have a bunch of volcanoes. All on <laughs> yeah, it. but there's one that's yeah active. screaming mad right now. Yeah, <laughs> active. Yeah, there's some wild weather going on over in Ka- in Kauai. I I saw a bunch of flooding, crazy rain over there. Princeville, maybe two weeks ago. Had like Jim, you remember when they did the twenty six inches of rain in twenty four hours? Yeah, did you read it was about amazing. that? Amazing. Yeah, I did. I yeah. did remember that. Yeah. That, well, I wasn't there during that time. I feel bad for, because you know the island of Kauai is uh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, but it is. in Princeville, that's like the nice, nice part of the island. Nice homes. Oprah has a house there. Um, you know, one of the guys that played Among Jane, many others. James Bond <laughs> has a house there. Someone important, right. <laughs> you know, and all the nice restaurants. That's but actually, what's what's unfortunate is the island is is you have one basic frontage road that you get you go from Princeville all the way down to Poipu, and in between the two are, is the airport. And um, you know, I gotta imagine that really disrupted commerce and people's life oh, and yeah. all that stuff. Any, yeah. Anytime you're on an island, right? There's not like many alternative routes. Think of the people that live out in Avila. Every yeah. time I go to Avila, I'm like, I would love to live here. And before I finish that sentence, my wife says, no, there's one way out. I can't do it. We're not living here. <laughs> She's an ER nurse. So. <laughs> She's thinking of yeah. the yeah, that disaster. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It is kind of, kind of freaky to think about that and right. what happens. You and swim yeah, away. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I just get blown away that there's places on Earth that get 28 inches of rain in 24 hours when we're sitting here just like, can we get more than 10 inches a year? Right. (laughs) Honey, look, it's raining outside. I know, it feels like this thing that you have to like go outside and let the dogs out let them run around (laughs) in it (laughs) kids are like what is that yeah well rain doesn't happen a lot in your life but it's rain (laughs) do they require volcano insurance is there a such thing oh i doubt it i imagine that if you live on those islands you're probably covered at your own risk it's probably similar to earthquake insurance where it's an optional yeah supposedly princeville right there in the monitor you're going to get me distracted, Jim. I'm yeah. trying to do a radio show. He's me. got a week before he goes. I've told Dan and Jason several times, if we ever need to do a live show from Hawaii, I'm I'm all aboard hey, for that. we're working on it. We're working on it. Just yeah. give us a little more time. Man. Don't you worry. I'm going to look at real estate while I'm over there. Well, we should probably get into the show. Yeah, we should. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, we there wasn't a show last week, so we've got a little bit to cover here. Mm-hmm. Um, last week we were off for Jason's 40th birthday. So we've gotten older through, yeah, we've definitely gotten older and we've gotten through birthday seasons. Now we can get back to just doing our jobs here. Yep. Um, so that was, uh, I, I believe that it was not this past week, the week prior that there was a Fed meeting. End of April, early March. Yeah. Or excuse me, end of April, early We May. haven't had a show since the last Fed meeting, right? No. So there was a Fed meeting at the end of April or early May, whatever, whenever it was. Um, and as expected, there was no change to the Fed funds rate. Yeah. So. Peculiar language, though, is they the did word change. I would apply. Yeah, there were a few changes in the, the statement. Um did you have a couple things to... No, I'd like to hear what you have to say. I'll chime in. Well, they talked about inflation. They kind of, you know, th- there's been a lot of a lot of the language in, in Fed meetings up till now have focused on how inflation's running under target. Yep. And there was some language change 
this meeting where the Fed referenced that you know inflation is making its way to the target, and if there's a period of time where inflation exceeds the target for a prolonged period of time, that that's okay because we've run under target for so long. Right. So all of a sudden, there's this whole shift in how we're talking about inflation. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking about it like it's just nagging or annoyingly low, and it's it's frustrating that we can't get it up to the target, mm-hmm. in spite of all the money that's been pumped into the economy over ten years, and here with this latest meeting now they're talking about well you know like reaching and exceeding the two percent inflation target is is just going to happen like it's already happened even though it hasn't but that's kind of the the sense that you got was that it's an inevitable thing and really they started talking about you know what it's going to look like once it exceeds that two percent target and how they're going to give it some some room to run and not worry too much if it's over target or, or for a prolonged time. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting to, to see that change. Um, makes yeah. you wonder if, if there is some inflationary activity that's, or, or some real inflation that we're going to see that they know about that some of the numbers are telling them that we're not really privy to. Or? I think it, I think it allows the American people to, understand that we might have a bit more of a conservative approach here conservative by nature and more like conservative and liberal you know the opposite of liberal we're going to allow finances to take care of themselves for a bit let's leave it alone let's see what it does we're hitting we we're about to complete we're midway through the second quarter we're about to see what these adjustments to prime rate have done and we need to let the market have 60, 90 days without tampering with it. You know what I mean? Let it run its course. I think what you'll find this time of year is that, um, you know, you have other outside factors, right? People are spending a lot of dollars on vacation right now. People are going, I mean, the gas pump in the cost of uh, oil by the barrel is up to 70, 72, um, you know, the cost of that just alone has jumped up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at, we talked two weeks ago, and I, I put a post on Facebook about this, the cost of building materials is going up. You know, we that's not just inflation. We need to see how that affects consumers and what their ability to afford these things are for a little bit. You know, when when we just get ahead of it, the ramifications are huge. You know, what you just said, Dan, is true. They they said they're going to allow for inflation to you know go above their target for a while. The very next day, the Dow was down 400 points. So the language isn't so important. What I think is in, another thing that I, I want to see them do, or what I hope they do here in um, in their next meeting when they have a, a press meeting, is how they speak of why they are maybe not going to raise rates this time. I, I think they will not raise rates in this quarter. I think we'll. Interesting. we'll I think we'll do a three bump raise this year but they won't do it right now i'm feeling this is mike points talking i've yeah, got an opinion is. i've got an opinion against what is it like 80 percent of the talking heads uh, think they're gonna raise yeah it's more than that i think they let it go this one time to see how what does happen interesting because we still have two quarters to do it in right it's, yeah but there's we've some always better... done it in december we've done, been doing it a lot in december i feel like that was just the catch-up like we should have done it but we didn't do it i don't know why when Yellen was the Fed chair, we did it the last two years in December. Like if, even if we, even if it didn't make sense, we still raised the rates. Um, and I'm saying this 
because I think what would be nice is if they if they're going if they're throwing out language like this, let's give it a pass and see what really happens. That's an interesting take that you have. I you're definitely in the minority. I I've I seen am. anywhere from ninety two to ninety six percent of people who follow this stuff believe that there's will be a quarter point rate change in the June meeting. I think it's the June meeting. Um, so it's very high likelihood, at least according to economists, but we'll see. I mean, we've been surprised before by the fed. Um, either way, I don't think it has a big impact on interest rates or markets in general. I, you know, usually the markets have this type of event priced in, you know, well ahead of time. Three months. So if anything, you might see rates back off a little bit. You might see a little bit of activity, um, but all in all, I I think a rate change is inevitable, whether it's this June or you know in September or whatever. I, I think the big question is whether or not they're going to do four rate hikes this year or three. <clears throat> and yeah, some of the language regarding inflation might clue you into that they might be more eager to do four. Um, believing that inflation is going to start to pick up and you want to keep those that Fed funds rate in line. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's anyone's guess. I try not, not to worry too much about it. I, I yeah. want to pay attention, but I don't overthink it because it's going to happen or it's not. Here's some stat <laughs> facts. The prime rate, if you don't know, is actually 4.75 and the Fed funds rate is 1.75. So they're thinking it would go up to two and a half, the Fed the the Fed fund rate by the end of the year would be two and a half. They did three bumps. Mm-hmm. So that what that means, and I hear this still, that doesn't mean that your mortgage opportunities instantly go up. Again, we want to be tracking the 10-year bond, which is another thing, another very important piece of news for us to talk about quickly, Dan, is fluctuating a lot higher than I thought it would this year. I thought it was going to stay between 2.8 and 2.6. It's up at three constantly. It's now. been over three. Yeah. Times. It fell down below, but it's going back up and below. And, and I think there's a lot of what, when you track that, that's more tied to our 30 year fixed mortgages than anything else. Mm-hmm. I believe, you know, you'd add about a point and a half to that. And that's where 30 year fixed mortgages are trading at. And I see right now I'm at probably a 4.625 with 20% down and a 720 credit score is, is what's trading, you know, that four and a half, if you've got a good, good credit score, but you, that's what that means to a consumer in your personal budget is you're probably spending about another 125 to $150 more than what you were spending, say three months ago on your mortgage. If you have a mortgage that's over $400,000. You know, so it's not a huge impact, but it's enough to, you know, it's enough to make people reduce their purchase price, I think, a bit now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always going to have some impact on that affordability. Um, sure. For the, Especially for the fringier, um, you know, qualified applicants. Mm-hmm. So it's... It'll be interesting to keep our eye on where rates go. I mean, I, the, the trend is higher. In fact, I, I get this commentary every day and from an industry um, guy, and every single day this week there was a statement in his in his um, comment in his commentary that said, you know, rates are trending higher. Rates are trending higher. It's just 
You know, if you think rates are going to go down, you're a fool. Rates are going higher. Yeah. They're going to keep going higher. You know, we might see temporary dips down, but... Very temporary. Get used to rates being higher. Yeah. That's the path we're on. It's the path we're going to continue on. And unless something major happens, you know, in the in the world, uh, yeah. then you're just... This is the path we're on, so get used to it. At this point, if I'm entering either a purchase transaction or a refi, I'm locking within the first day or two. I just... You're not going to have this big dip downwards. Yeah, I think locking in an interest rate. And, you know, I try to share with people that there's there's something called a float down. It, it, there's a float down policy where it always makes sense to lock, really. Um, it, the float down is your hedge against an improving market after you've locked. Float down is, is a term that's given to, you know, if you do have a locked interest rate because you're involved in a mortgage transaction and the market improves while before you've closed you can you get a one time opportunity to float down to uh, to take advantage of some of that rate improvement you don't get all of it but you get most of it um and it's a it's a nice so you're way using, to you're using a jargon word float down does that just mean you get to improve your rate it means you get a one time to say, oops, I locked at the wrong time. Too soon. Yep, the market improved, and I'd like to get some of that okay. without having to switch lenders and you know do that thing. Yep, banks have 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 caught on to what consumers do. They'll just they'll just go to another bank. Yeah, they'll switch banks midstream and just you know I want that lower. I got this loan for thirty years. I want to make sure I get the best deal possible. And you know. Before this float down, you when you're locked, you're locked. There's no. There was always like the well, we don't give you the higher rate when rates move higher. You know that kind of mentality. Yeah, I mean, from a, from a whole picture standpoint, Dan, why is the bank? I mean, why wouldn't they just unlock and relock again? I mean, they have to when they lock, they have to buy. Right. There's this whole hedging that goes on behind the scenes that consumers aren't aware of, and it it costs real money to hedge a loan. It costs approximately one basis point per day to hedge against a lock. And so what Got things it. that will end up costing banks money is if they they if a loan is locked and it never closes, well they've incurred real cost by hedging against that lock for 30 days mm-hmm. or however long the lock was in place. Mm-hmm. Um the or you know if if what they see is when when there's rate improvement they'll see loans not pull through because the people have, you know, gone with a different bank or whatever they've done. And so to mitigate against that, they've banks have said, okay, well, we're better off not just losing the loan entirely. We'll let you take advantage of some of the market improvement, which kind of hurts our position a little bit, but it keeps you on board. So we get some revenue out of you instead of zero revenue and only the loss. And a cost. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of their mentality and why they've employed this float down and it's really only been in the last few years that i've seen a float down exist before that it was just you got what you got or you'd have to switch banks entirely another product that's always been out there that i think is a bit more popular right now is the two one buy down which is you know anyone this wasn't as popular because rates are so quote unquote low they're still historically low but you can start with a 4.625 rate and what we do is we make it uh, the amortization stays the same, but we make the rate the first year 2.625. And then when you complete the first year, we make 
the second year, so month 13 through 24, 3.625. And then you come up to full throttle at 4.625 in year three. Why? And we still have to qualify you with the 4.62 full rate. Yeah, but this is an opportunity if you're if you know you're getting advancement in your in your job place, if you know you're moving in and you've got some things that are on the come with regards to income, it might make sense. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm a pretty conservative financial person with my personal finances. And I've seen the float down. It's been around forever. It's not deemed a risky loan. You know, when, when you the Dodd, buy down, the, yeah, the buy down loan, sure. when Dodd-Frank came out and, you know, Divided up loans into you're a qualified mortgage and you're a non-qualified mortgage, non-qualified being risky. Mm-hmm. Um, buy-downs were left in the qualified mortgage section. And it's interesting to me because I, I try to think of the scenario where the buy-down, where, where you have that mentality. Because I rarely have that mentality where I just am banking on these things happening in the future. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a poor way to manage finances. Personally, that's my my personal belief. Um you know, I always, I like to think of the opportunities that are coming, but not count on any of them. Well, let me throw you like a real scenario, Dan. Okay, I'm not yeah. saying like, no, my, I'm, I'm my employer simply playing give devil's advocate one. for you. Let's say one of your income earners, your spouse or you are completing a graduate program, right? There's a very high likelihood that the income you had before the graduate program is going to be much higher. But right now you might be working half time. I'd prefer to take an, a mortgage that allows me a little bit of extra, should I say, wiggle room, knowing that by the time that thing hits full throttle, quote unquote, I've got two incomes of which one is 20% higher than it was. That's a for instance. I, I, I agree with you that you shouldn't say that, you know, the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl before the season. You don't know. You don't have a crystal ball and you're not going to make more income just by chance. As we've seen, how much I mean, this is the real discussion about inflation, right? Where are wages going? They're not going up. Everyone has a job, but wages aren't going up. So I, I agree with you there. I just like the product. I like to bring it up right now because people are like, ah, oh, man. Yeah. If I could just be two years further along in this gig. I guess where I don't like it is if someone doesn't like what the 4.625 rate is generating payment wise. Well, that it's eventually going to get there, so you yeah. either need to cozy up to that payment or maybe buying a home isn't for you. Right. So that's I guess that's I just have a different attitude. I get that yeah, someone might have a definite path to get more income and just to make it a little easier to afford today, but that's a rare situation. So I think when it comes to looking at these buy-down products, it should be evaluated Carefully and cautiously. Yeah. I don't think anyone should just jump into it because, oh, well, that's a more affordable payment in year one. Well, yeah. you got to think about year two, three, four, five, and six, and seven, and you know, down the line and, and think and about what makes sense. You don't sense. need to think about <laughs> that stuff. I, no, you're right, Dan. And uh, before we go to a break, we talked about rate. Let's quickly talk about fee. What would it cost to get back to the rates from, let's say, December of, of last year? Would it cost two points to get back to 4.125 today or four? Possibly. That's probably about, about in the ballpark. So what that means, if you're not in a transaction recently and you forgot what points mean, um, one point is a percentage point of the loan amount. So if you have a $400,000 <clears> loan, a point's going to be 4000 To buy down right now would be $8,000 to the old rate. But we look at a break even and see if that makes sense. Um 
that's just something to think about because, you know, people are getting into transactions where maybe they're going to buy one of these new properties, right? And it's not going to be ready for six months. What, what's going to happen to my rate if, if the house isn't ready for six months? Yeah, it's interesting trying to uh, pre-approve and coach people today who have a plan for three months or six months or 12 months from now because you kind of have to build in a little rate buffer yeah. and make sure that you're qualifying them to what the future interest rates are going to be, especially, again, for someone who's kind of on the fringe of qualifying. Yep. You got you to gotta prepare them for where the rate environment might be in the future. So that makes it a little tricky. Yeah. Before um, we take this quick break, I just, you know, when we come back, I want to talk, I want to set the table for Doug Davidson, our guest from the city of San Luis Obispo. He's the deputy of development. He knows all about every new real estate um, housing development that's happening. He knows all about infill projects that are coming into slow. So we'll talk about, you know, how to set up for if you're looking to buy a a new, a brand new house, or if you're looking to buy a piece of land and infill and build on it when we come back from the break. So stick around for more Mortgage Matters. We'll be right back. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. With trade wars escalating, the market is seeing some serious volatility. Are you nervous? With banks not paying anything on their CDs, where can you put short-term funds for decent growth? Look no further than Century Financial Consultants. We have a new five-year guarantee product paying 3.6%. This product is tax-deferred unlike a traditional CD, and your rates won't change like an indexed annuity. You're guaranteed. Contact Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 324-7914. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Times are strange, here I come. 
matters got a good little start going here starting to catch up on a couple weeks worth of market news um mike's referenced a couple times but we're going to be joined in the 10 o'clock hour um by doug davidson he's the deputy director of community development for the city of san luis obispo so we're going to talk about some of those new housing projects that are um, in the works right now and um, talk you know about inventory uh, new home inventory in general in the San Luis Obispo area so it should be an interesting conversation we hope that you'll participate in that you can always call in live anytime during the show 543-8830 543-8830 um, we love hearing from you if you have a question or comment uh, feel free to give us a call um, there w- was another big news item from the week prior um, that I thought we should cover, and that's the employment report. It's always big news, always market moving. And what was exciting, if nothing else, just the headline of uh, of a um, unemployment rate below 4%. It came in somewhat surprisingly at 3.9% for um, April, that unemployment rate. So that was... That was a cool, t- cool thing to see. It's the first time that we've been below 4% um, since the year 2000. And um, uh, unfortunately, whenever the unemployment rate drops, it seems to be based on the participation rate. Um, and so that participation rate affected unemployment when there's when there's less people participating, then it looks like there's less people unemployed, and so that unemployment rate will go down. And that's there was a drop in participation with this monthly report, so that was what kind of drove that unemployment rate. But it's a it's an exciting number to see when you're at 3.9 percent unemployment. Um, as you referenced earlier, Mike, the earnings have been something that we've been really focused on for a while. And that, you know, we started out real hot early this year. We, there was like a 0.3 or 0.4% gain, which annualized that out was where we want it to be, if not even better than that. And since then, it's really just come back down to what we've seen for the last several years, which is 0.1, 0.2% growth, which annualizes out to less than 2%. And it's just not where we want to be. I think in the middle age times, they called that a pittance. Yeah, it is a pittance. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> another 0.1% but we got the gain t- in hourly earnings. With the tax, I mean, the tax reform is these corporations aren't just going to be like, hey, we got a bunch of dollars. Here you go. Take it, employer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, am, I feel for the employers. I mean, they've got all types of risk. I just think that they should give a little bit out. But I do think that I, I'm sorry I'm getting off on a soapbox here. But no, it's fine. I, I think that I think that it would look. Inflation isn't a bad thing if the economy is doing really well. But if we don't have more dollars, sure, there's more jobs, so more people are getting paychecks. But if we don't have more household dollars, and we used to have real increase in wages, and 
how how can how can this economy really get up on its feet and start kicking butt again? So you're upset that this money's not trickling down the way it's supposed to be. I'm in just curious <laughs> as to where they thought this tax reform was going to help people get more money. Is it going to be when they do? Oh, their, well, the employers it, are going to save a lot of money, right? Because there's a lot of breaks with the corporations, and then it was going to get passed down to the workers. More than a pittance. <clears throat> More than a pittance. More than a pittance. Oh, it was going to be. It was going to be substantial. Can I get a little whipped cream on the pie? <laughs> Can I get some on the pie? Maybe it's coming later. He has whipped cream on his pie. Maybe it's just coming later. Okay. Um, let's Thank see. Thank you for that. I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Another somewhat disappointing part of the employment report for April was the number of jobs added. Um, we're hoping for something in the 190,000 range. We got 164,000. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a little frustrating here. We're expecting some better things. We've expected that all of the slack has come out of the job market that, that, you know, as employers need people, they were going to, you know, it was going to be just getting these people who are jobless into jobs. It was going to, we were going to see the unemployment rate continue to fall because of more hirings, not because of less people participating. And in order to attract that best talent, employers are going to have to pay more money. And we're just not seeing that. So there, it does appear that there the might still be some slack right. in this jobs market right now. Um, I did see another news item this week where it said the number of people unemployed is now equal to the number of job openings in the United States. So, again, you would think that without any slack in the jobs market that it's just like, all right, well, let's start hiring those people. That unemployment rate should fall down to zero and or... Uh, short of getting there, we should see some meaningful wage gains. Yeah. So, you know, we'll keep watching it. We'll keep hoping for something significant in this area. We saw it one month, about four or five months ago, but we haven't seen it since. Right. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Um, and the self-employed people of the world and the Uber drivers of the world. and and I have a question to relay. Somebody oh, just gotcha. called in. I was like, I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. don't understand the note. <laughs> All right, somebody was just calling in. Yeah, somebody was somebody just called in. They didn't want to go on the air, and I hope I get this right. But if you have a hundred percent disability, um, of course you don't have the, I guess the property taxes or something. But anyway, she said, "What do you know needs to be done to keep the person that may inherit your property from having to pay?" any taxes that weren't paid is there, do they, is, do they have to pay taxes that you didn't pay? I guess uh, I'm not. The clear. term taxes is so general. You yeah. said property taxes. Yeah, I, I feel like you're taxes. referencing maybe some income tax issues. Let's start yeah. first. There's this, this individual is curious about someone being hundred percent disabled. She is, I guess she is hundred percent disabled, but okay. when you're gone, when that person is gone, does the people that inherit your property and inherit that issue also? Uh, so let's say someone wants to buy, if she's behind on property taxes, if she's delinquent on property taxes, um, those are typically paid for by the seller before prior to closing. It, it sounds to me like that's what she's asking, Dan. It, it's tough. That's a tough one. Yeah, I'm trying to look stuff up here. I'm seeing a lot of things referencing veterans getting some tax relief, disabled veterans. Um, but if if it's property taxes, 
you know, that would need obviously need to be settled prior to, to switching ownership or changing hand. And yeah, title. that was the general statement I was going to make that really anytime property transfers is, is kind of when the those matters get cleaned up, if you will. Um, if there's any any judgments or liens against a property, um, whether they're property tax related or other, um, those items get resolved when property changes hands. People who have I think you got to hang that up. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm doing the damn thing and dusting the studio right now, and apparently I shouldn't be dusting that phone. Right. Anyway, um, yeah. Now I you made the phone, phone ring. It's live radio, There's people. all kinds of things happening. Stuff happens. the phone ring doing that, so yeah. here we are. All right, just keep rubbing the phone. We appreciate you listening. <laughs> So that gets cleaned up by title and escrow. Yeah, title. Yeah. Part of the process of of transacting real estate is there's a title report and that title report pulls up any liens or or anything affecting someone's ownership of that property. Yep. And those items are brought to easements, the surface. Easements. Yeah. Um, be aware of that. All, all kinds of things that can affect someone's ownership or desire to own that property come to the surface through that title search. Okay. And at that time, that's when those things get resolved. So any future owner of a property is going to, they're going to have their own set of circumstances, whether it yeah. comes to paying property taxes or other taxes, but those things should be resolved um, by the previous owner or owner's estate. And escrow's job is to take that out of the funds, your, the proceeds from the sale of the home. And exactly. then you get, the, you get the final proceeds. Right. We have a caller from San Luis Obispo. David, thanks for calling in. How are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm, I'm good. I was just calling in regards to the, the dis- disability. And the, I, I think, I mean, I don't know what the person's question was either, but I think their, their question is like when it comes to, comes to 100% service-connected veterans, they get a break on their property tax. Mm. And so I, I, I'm 100% service-connected then I get a break on my property tax. But if I, I die tomorrow and I, you know, I, I, you know, will the house to my son, he's not going to have to pay any back property taxes. He would just start paying taxes just like anybody else would on the property. Correct. Yeah. That's okay. a, that's not something, yeah, where you're passing on the burden to a future yeah. heir of the property. Got it. Yeah, I think that's what that person's concern was, and that's not how it works. Okay, David, anyway, would you would you tell me quickly sure. that what what exactly what is the um, the VA has titled you to be what now? I'm sorry, I didn't hear it all the way. Oh, so if if you're a hundred percent disabled veteran, so if you're disabled from being in your time in service, got it. The VA has rated you at hundred percent. Yep. Then most all local counties, whatever the tax you know person is, the property tax they usually give them a discount on their taxes. Okay. Yeah, so, so you wouldn't be delinquent. They, they charge them 150000 Right. Got it. So that tax assessor in that county would reduce the, the property tax It's a burden. reduction for that own, homeowner for the exactly. duration of that homeowner owning that, that, that property. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And David, thanks yeah. for your no, service, great, and thanks for deal. calling in. Oh, no problem. You guys take care. All right. All right. It yeah. Might, it might be good to see just a state lawyer they might be able to help you out with absolutely I, I think yeah anytime that you get into some of these issues that are personally affecting you getting the qualified assistance is the way to go um i i did wonder if that was the the, the question, question. was it. whether it was related to veterans or not um, because when i was searching here that was the, the thing that popped up here 
uh, most often. And so there is, I, I'm here on the California State Board of Equalization website talking about this disabled veterans exemption to property taxes. And so it is for veterans who are um, deemed to be 100% disabled due to a service-connected injury or disease. And so they do get some property tax relief. And that is something that is for that um, disabled veteran for the time they own that home. And there's no back tax owed by heirs to that property or anything. It just would revert back to normal property tax you know, payments for the the new owner of that property. That's that's how that would work. Understandable. I'm so, glad we cobbled that together. Yeah, it takes a village, right? <laughs> Did you uh, get all of your employment news out? It's. I feel like we got kind like almost to the end, but not all the way. Yeah, I think we we went through the the highlights of that employment report for April. Um, the wages, as you said. Yeah, we went through the wage, just lack of growth. I guess would be a, a good way to term it. Um, we had a couple readings this week for um, inflation indices, which, you know, since we were talking about that first part of the show, it'd probably be good to just cover. Um, April's producer price index was up just 0.1%, and the core um, producer prices were up 0.2%. And the consumer price index, which is the more the headline number mm-hmm. um, for inflation, was up uh, 0.2%, and the core was only up 0.1%. Expectations for both of those figures were to be a little bit higher, um, but they weren't. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it may have been, you know, it, it, it's interesting, again, I think, to see the next meeting where there is a press conference for the Fed to to get their take on this, because the the meeting and the the, the rationale where they talked about and, and made changes to the language regarding inflation was prior to these latest inflation readings, mm-hmm. um, which came in a little disappointing. So we'll see if they have the same thoughts on inflation going forward. Um, and I, I guess one other big number that's that's always good to pay attention to is GDP. Uh, we had the final reading for quarter four GDP for 2017, which showed the economy grew uh, at a 2.9% clip, which is an upward revision. Um, always nice to see more growth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we've seen for the first quarter of 2018 um, that growth has kind of eased, which is typical for a first quarter of a year, um, eased down to 2.3%. So that's a little bit lower than the fourth quarter reading, but we still have a couple more revisions that uh, to that number coming. Yeah. So... Um, that's all good information. Yeah. Generally, I think when you step back and kind of look at economic data here that we've received over the last three, four weeks, it's been generally positive um, as far as economic growth is considered and and really just continuing the several year long trend that we've been on, which is an improving, improving economy, um, improving employment numbers, improving growth. Um, just none of it's, you know, at a blistering pace. The core inflation number is at 0.01%, you know, like from last month. I mean, this is what I'm getting Negligible at. growth. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. Like, what are we not, yeah. why are we talking about raising rates in June? Just, I, I hear where you're coming from. Just let that dog I, run. Yeah. Let it run. I, I hear you. I, I too enjoy low interest rates and would like to see low interest rates. Um, I, it just seems like it's a given that, that they're going to bring these rates up. 
That's fine. So um, as we transition into the top of the hour, um, I wanted to just quickly talk about the opportunities we have here at Central Coast Lending with regards to um, mortgages, not just to purchase existing homes, but also to build new homes. I wanted to quickly touch on, um, you know, there's two things that are happening right now. People are starting, we're getting a lot of calls in. People want to buy land and build their own house. They want to, they just said there's not enough inventory. We want to build our own house. Also, we're starting to get some calls because there are all these new developments that are advertising publicly now. You know, not only do they have the signs out at the development, but they're advertising in the news. They're on KSBY. There's these three major developments coming in. Really, like there's like seven, but there's three that everyone talks about. Um, so, how do you prep for that? You know, how do you get ready to buy a house that's going to be ready six months from now? Normally, what happens is the developer is going to have their own preferred lender. They're going to have you get pre-approved with their lender because they want to make sure that that if you're going to sign a contract, they've got a lender that's looked at your file thoroughly. Because sometimes loan officers take a stab at your file, but they don't they don't run credit all the way. They don't run it through an, an automated underwriting system like we do at Central Coast Lending. They don't get a bona fide pre-approval. They'll just say, look, your income looks good. Based on my debt-to-income ratios, you'll have a loan, right? I mean, that that's what happens sometimes. People don't get fully pre-approved. But when you're planning for a house that's going to be ready in six months, what do you do, Dan? I mean, how do you know where the market's going to go? And, and I mean, what if your job changes? What are your assets going to be, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to have a pretty good idea that you're, you've got stable employment um, and, you know, certain factors aren't likely to change. The hard thing to predict is interest rates. You got to assume there's going to be some change, upward change in interest rates if you're looking six months out. Yes. Um, and so you got you to factor that in. So if you're on the fringe of qualifying at today's interest rates and any kind of pop upward is going gonna, is gonna to disqualify you, then y- you need to look at maybe a lower price point. Um, yeah. If you're not sitting with us, be planning, like boost your interest rate up half a point. Yeah. You know, if you're seeing today's rate, say, okay, that's great, but could I qualify? What's it at, at five and a quarter? Right. What's it at five and a half? Right. You know, give give yourself some wiggle room, um, and I think that's really important. I there's there's several issues that you look at when you're when you're six months out from from getting serious about buying a home. You want to make sure your credits in order. Yep. You want to make sure your debts are in order. Um, that you've paid down as much debt as you can and that makes it comfortable for you and that allows you to qualify for the home you want to buy. Um, you know, may, maybe it's time to back off on credit card usage a little bit and just pay the balances down and, you know, get that in order to help you qualify for as much home as possible. Um, Some things you might not know, though, as well. Like, you know, if you've got a lease on a car that's coming due or finalized in the next six months, what are you going to do? Are you going to finance? I mean, so if you have, you qualify with this car payment because it's a lease, but in six months you're going to either get a new car, right? You're going to need to give the car back or you're going to need to finance the car. So that could change too. Like how you change your debt Mm -hmm. is so important. Cars are a bigger payment. They're a little bit bigger than most. That's why I mention them. Yeah. Maybe you have student loans that are finally going to be coming on and, you know, they've been on deferment. deferment. Thank you. And now they're coming on all the way, you know, those types of things don't always get looked at by the loan officer unless the questions are asked. So think about those listeners. And then the other big issue besides credit and 
income qualification, of course, is the cash you're going to need to close. Yep. And where is that money coming from? Um, you know, are you getting a gift? Yeah. Are you getting, do you have some money coming to you that you don't already have in your bank account? You know, maybe you're getting ready to sell a vehicle that you don't want anymore or some other asset that's going to yield you some, a lump sum of cash. You got to know how to document that please so that you can use that money or it needs to be in your account for the appropriate period of time so that we don't have to go through the documentation um, process of, of, sourcing where that money came from um just so last just, night a, a young gal in san diego she we've been talking we met through the web she called me back she's checking in she's like hey mike um i'm gonna do this i'm an it person i'm gonna do this project for someone they're gonna pay me make 13 fourteen thousand dollars i'm like okay great that's awesome get a contract are you gonna have like a scope of work contract <laughs> yeah. she's like well why do i need that i'm like well i mean Thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars is coming in out of nowhere and all of a sudden you have enough money to close yeah. is gonna be weird for a bank. Yeah. I gotta explain that. Oh great, I'm glad I called you. Don't be shy to call your loan officer. Have rapport with them because as you plan for a six month transaction, you need to be ready for that. I'm glad that we're gonna be talking about housing today. Do you know that California is a pretty big market? I did not know that. California's a big housing market. Um I was checking out some industry data. California accounted for 21% of residential loan volume in 2017. Wow. So one state accounts for one-fifth of all mortgage activity. It was even higher in 2016. It was 23%. Nearly a quarter of mortgage activity was from the state of California. Pretty crazy. Well, that's going to lead us right into the next hour handsomely. Thank you, Dan. When we get back, we'll have Doug Davidson from the city of San Luis Obispo. He's the deputy director of development. Um, Water off the dog. Get yourself another cup of coffee. (laughs) Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. We'll be right back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Saturday show because all these major holidays come up on Sundays and Jim's so subtle with his reminders. Yeah. Happy uh, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day a day early. Yeah. If you haven't already, make sure you get out there and get your card and your flowers and whatever else so that we can all appreciate mm-hmm. our moms and our wives and uh, give them the the great day they deserve. And as you all know, being a mother and a father actually is a full-time job. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Being a dog owner is a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. 
I can't imagine what you guys have to deal with. Your children talk and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least uh, we can understand our rational thought. I mean, yeah, there we what are. are your dogs even wanting from I you? I speak for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Uh, we have a guest with us here in the studio, uh, Doug Davidson from the city of San Luis Obispo, Deputy Director of Community Development. Doug, thank you for coming on and welcome. Thank you very much for having me this morning. Let's try that again. Yeah. Thank you very much for having <laughs> so me. That's very good. Yeah. The wheel over here. here that's we are. better. There we are. We're good now. I want to help kick you off just a bit here, Doug. I was at your open house event that you had. I want to say it was the, gosh, was it the 8th? It was uh, the Thursday before this last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, downtown San Luis Obispo, uh, right there by the library, you had an open house where you showed uh, the people of San Luis Obispo and anyone that could walk in what the city's working on to how how to you know, you know how you're trying to bring more housing if you will to the the beautiful central coast and San Luis Obispo proper if you will great but, job by the way that was awesome thank you for attending we got some real good feedback from the community the open house format it's more informal you know we give so many formal presentations it's nice just to be able to walk around and talk to staff and you're right. We highlighted on uh, the housing issues as well as some others that the city is working on. And the framework for that workshop is we're updating the city's zoning ordinance. So that's a big deal. It's probably a two- to three-year project in its entirety. And housing the current development and plan development that we have and things that we're looking for in the zoning are uh, big topics. So tell us about what it is you do. I mean, your title is slightly yeah, ambiguous. It's a long title there, isn't it? But I work, uh, I lead the development review division. Okay. So those words are pretty much say that what it is, that we review the incoming planning and building permit projects and take them through the planning commission if needed. Okay. Um, and we are very busy at the moment. Is that for large projects only or for infill individual single family homes as well? Yeah, that's a good question. The smaller projects, and by that I mean a single-family residence, an addition, uh-huh. maybe a very small commercial project, you can just go right in and get a building permit. But multiple-family, commercial, large residential projects, those go through probably the planning commission for sure, and then we have an architectural review commission. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they go to the city council, so the process can right. be rather lengthy. right. Yeah, like, you know, you've got a, a development like Rigetti Ranch, which looks like it's probably the first of these many that are going to kick off with their building phase. Williams Homes is the builder there. They purchased two of the many lots that, that Ambient Communities is selling. Um, but, you know, that I'm assuming took, I mean, that process has been on the books since 1998. Exactly. I mean, that wasn't you years. that started that, but... but I guess what you're saying in this in this next two to three years is you're looking to improve the timeline on how these things get looked at. Is it is it just improving the timeline because you have more staff, or have you guys figured out that maybe there's a couple too many spokes in this wheel? Or I'm just asking because I think it's it's everyone wants to know. They're not angry with you. They're just kind of like, why does this take so long, right? Absolutely, and we we realize that we do have a lot of developers say at the end of the process as long and somewhat complex as it can be. The product is better, even in their minds. But we realize there's a more efficient way to do it. 
one thing just to note that when the ARC looks at something and the Planning Commission looks at something, both of those decisions can be appealed to the city council. Mm -hmm. So several times in these controversial infill projects that gets the neighborhood pretty excited, we've had appeals of both of those decisions. And that's just kind of ridiculous, right? The same project, you have two appeals on it, both colliding at the city council. So we are trying to funnel that through one process and get away from that. Mm -hmm. Streamlining is is key, but also, you know, there's there's plenty of merit to to looking at these projects before they just kick off and go, right? You you probably know better than anyone. You deal with the ramifications of people not wanting growth. You deal with the ramifications of a builder maybe not knowing, oh, wait, I have to build a whole road before I start this project, you know? There's a lot of stuff you guys need to bring into these builders. And I, I might be getting off topic just a bit, but I, I like to hear um, all that goes into this because this is one of the reasons we don't have as much housing and we can't just build tomorrow. We are going to see, I mean, truly the superlative here at works that we have never been in a period of development in the city and in the current city limits, we won't again. We have years of the forecasted growth of the city in the pipeline right now. You mentioned one of the big ones. There are three or four others just like it. Yeah. And maybe that might be uh, something your viewers could or your listeners could find interesting. As you mentioned, Orchid and San Luis Ranch we have. Avila Ranch. Mm-hmm. The Margarita area is still building out. You've got... Noveno. Noveno. Right. From Robbins Reed. And you've got 2,500 units on the books right there. And, of course, they're going to be phased as the process and the market allow, but... That is huge, and it's really the southern end of the town mm-hmm. in our so-called expansion areas that I just named. Mm-hmm. That's really where the growth is. And these aren't projects, right? These are whole new neighborhoods mm-hmm. with streets, utilities, and as you mentioned for Orca, 20 years of planning. The Delidio Farm, now called San Luis Ranch, that 30-plus years, at least in some means of planning. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they have been on the books for a long time, and it's an, a window of economic opportunity still, and we are just really processing all of those projects right now at once. Right. So as far as some of those exaggerated timelines, you know, something that's been in, on, in the works for 30 years or 20 years, a lot of that has to do with the economic climate as well. I imagine some of those projects got put on hold during the, the recession, and that's part of why they, they take that long. Absolutely. We got hit hard, as did the country in the recession. We had a lot of projects that had been approved. You know, they had been through that process I discussed and just could not get uh, lending and financing for the project. So some of our development now is still pent up from that. And then, yeah, let me clarify the comment with 30 years or so. A lot of that is with the developer, you know, uh, mm-hmm. working on it. And that's not all review process time. That would really be <laughs> right. lengthy. But uh, just generally, I think we can all realize Delidio Farm has been talked about for some development oh, yeah. for years and years. Yeah, before I was in college here in 2000. <laughs> yeah, it's been, been I've been hearing buzz about it for a while too. Yeah. So 2,500 new units is, is an exciting um amount of, of housing, given the demand that we have, what what do you see that doing for demand? Do you, do you see it that those 2,500 units meet today's demand, or is it is it even um, helping with future demand? How do you see that affecting 
housing demand today in the city? It will definitely affect our demand and make a good contribution to the supply. But as we talk about on every Wednesday night or so at the Planning Commission, are we ever going to be a real affordable market? We talk a lot about affordable housing. We require affordable housing. How we're trying to tackle that since we're so desirable and we're just, let's face it, never going to be a real cheap place to live is yep. to try to incentivize smaller units on smaller lots. Yeah. All right? So less land, less to build seems to be a product that the millennial generation likes. Maybe not the big yard and the picket fence and all of that. So these projects I mentioned, Orchid Area, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. has minimum lot sizes of about 4,000 square feet, about 25% or so smaller than what a typical one would be. So that's one example of that. And those others that I mentioned also are really pushing smaller units and smaller lots. Yeah, I mean, the houses in downtown Slow, God love them. 10,000 square foot lot R2 development with a garage that's way back detached and a house on top of it, right? Right. Yeah. You I and and there's a lot of things to be done with that type of property. I think we can we can as not just as an investor but as a homeowner, you could maximize that space maybe better than we have, but mm-hmm. what you're saying is the new lots, look it's not just because San Luis is beautiful and people want to live here. It's the cost of materials, right? We don't have that many tradesmen in this area. So therefore, we don't have the opportunity to get that competitive. There's only you know, four or five people that can do the work, per se. And that, that trickles down to the bottom line price. You're right. And you mentioned the downtown, and I think that should be another area we highlight here in addition to the residential neighborhoods I talked about. Doug, we can highlight whatever you want, sir. <laughs> this is your, we, we're glad to have you here. And, and all the things you talk about are, I mean, you coming from facts. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not like guesstimating. This is what you do. <laughs> And there's so much development. You notice I did have to bring a few cheat sheets here today to uh, <laughs> I would imagine. how many units. That's why we have I our laptops. I have it on the top of my head. But, yep. but really in the downtown, people might not think of that as a housing area. But for years, the city's general plan has required housing. And this is this mixed-use term that we talk about a lot and a lot of projects. You've got a couple right next door in this area, several where you have commercial on the ground floor, residential above, or possibly it's a horizontal type of mixed use. And there are hundreds of downtown residential units proposed right now. Mm-hmm. One, just a, one for instance, is called San Luis Square on the old Foster Freeze site. Mm-hmm. Yep. That has 75 units. And yep. here's where we're really trying to push the idea of smaller units under five or 600 square feet. If you propose those, you're not subject to the density limits. In other words, you can build as many as you can fit into the building envelope. Right. San Luis Square's unit sizes are about 600 square feet, 75 of them, plus a good amount of retail and a nice paseo. It's really more than just a foster freeze lots. It's three lots there. Goes all the way to Jack House, corner. correct? Correct. Adjacent to the Jack House correct. property. It, right. So that's, uh, well, I was going to say the biggest. That's not the biggest, but uh, obviously Chinatown and then the Garden Street Terraces Hotel Project. Those are the two biggest developments in the downtown. But the San Luis Square and lots of others I'm not mentioning that have 18, 30 
units on top of commercial are really starting to add up as well. And you go downtown, there's cranes in the air and four or five different places. Oh, man, there's activity for sure. Covellop's doing a really nice job down at the creamery with the remodel they're doing on the retail space, but they're going to put in 18 units over there. Right. The creamery has three projects right there on itself. One... Go ahead. One was a remodel of the commercial space, then the Southtown 18 project you're talking about, mm-hmm. and then the parking lot next to Chiapino would be a hotel called the Vesper Hotel. So those three right there in San Vesper. Luis Square, Vesper. That's like the James Bond drink. <laughs> is that what they name it after? I wasn't sure. <laughs> and then, you know, San Luis Square is just across the street from there. So a lot of activity right in that area. Also, there's other projects on Monterey between the museum and the mission. I, I've kind of noticed too, like um, the way San Luis has to grow kind of is up a little bit. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, um, do we have any like, like uh, projects that are going to kind of entail what you're going to, you're doing with these projects you just mentioned, but also kind of keep the character of the downtown area. I think a lot of people feel like the character is a big part of San Luis Obispo. Well, you hit it right on the head. That is a huge issue that we're dealing with, the balance between that, the balance between growing. We don't want to stagnate. That's not good for any organism. But we get a lot of testimony at those hearings that the usual comments are, this is too big, whether it be in a residential neighborhood or in the downtown. This is too big and affecting the character. These projects are within the height limits of the city's zoning ordinance, And that's sometimes hard for people to wrap their heads around when it's next to a single-story building. But still, the transition between those two should be taken into account to address just what you talked about. I mean, we saw a pretty big controversy with respect to the character of a neighborhood just with – it's that commercial building, the old Heritage Oaks Bank at Santa Rosa and Marsh Street there where I saw them redoing some of the siding, you know, to – give it a little more, I don't know, a friendlier feel, I guess. I guess the the dark gray was is a little too much for um, the architectural review portion of the city. And so they, I saw more wood paneling going up and, give, I guess, softening the feel of, of that building. That's what uh, occurred there exactly. So, you know, architecture, it is subjective, right? As they say, in the eye of the beholder, we try to, and one of the things we're trying to do in the zoning regulations update is define that and quantify that. So the word compatible, you need to be compatible with the neighborhood. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're coming up with some ways to actually quantify that. You need to step back the second floor if you're next to a one-story or a a term called floor area ratio. It kind of can limit your development if you're in an area of very small-scale development around you. So Mm -hmm. it's one of the major efforts of the zoning update we're trying to do is get away from these uh, nebulous terms. When was the last time the zone... Is this part of the general plan, the zoning map? Yeah, what the zoning ordinance and the map, it implements the general plan, if that makes sense. The general plan is policies that say we should do this, we should provide more housing. The zoning ordinance actually puts that into effect with how high can you go, how many units can you have, and those type of more specifics. And when was the last time this had a significant update? That's a good question. The reason we're giving it a big update now is since it implements the general plan, 
The general plan was relatively just recently updated after a long process, 2014, really at the end of the year, basically 2015. So the first thing you do after that is you update your zoning ordinance. So this is the first time in about 15 years that we've done a comprehensive update of the zoning ordinance. We do little changes here and there on an annual basis maybe, but this is a much bigger effort. Mm Mm-hmm. And so with all these units that are coming in, a lot of them, like you said, more dense, smaller units to help with affordability, you say it's a product that the millennial generation seems to really take to. Is the vision for San Luis Obispo City to see more of the younger population in the downtown core in these smaller units and then see more of the families and and older residents in more of the traditional single-family housing. I know we always have this issue that mm-hmm. in San Luis Obispo City, I don't want to say it's, you know, adversarial, but it kind of is in some sense where you have, you know, how do how does the young college population mix with the established neighborhoods where there's families and and that there's always some kind of rub, it seems like. Is there a vision? I mean, is this They make part movies of... about this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Animal House and all that. <laughs> there is a lot in that <laughs> question. But yeah. Maybe I should start. We should go to a break. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I... Go ahead. Oh, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, great idea. I, I guess I should I'm start to with... i the button, too, myself. Yeah. Over here, so. <laughs> uh, I guess I should start with... Uh, getting away from making blanket statements across a whole generation, you know, the millennials. That, that's just kind of – we do see that, though, at the public hearings. Younger people, young families can't afford to live here, and they are there supporting all of these projects we've talked about, downtown sure. and outside uh, of town down near the airport. So it is a little – it's more of a, an affordable product and we we are hearing from that generation. But there is, I mean, the Cal Poly residential neighborhoods and growth and student housing. We have a controversial project in the works right now. You might have heard of it at 790 Foothill, the yep. old McDonald's site. Yep. Very controversial. It's a big project for that neighborhood. It meets the rules. It's student housing, and that word kind of is a bad word for many people. Front but, page of Thursday's Tribune. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, stu- housing, in our perspective from the city, includes student housing. That's an important part of it. And proximity to Cal Poly, uh, that could be an appropriate uh, area there for, for housing. You betcha. That's got to be the only McDonald's that's vacant in the entire U.S., right? <laughs> that's the weirdest thing to me. It's like, how did a McDonald's fail? Never right heard next to a college. Yeah. <laughs> well, Proof that local business survives and we beat McDonald's. Um, no, um, let's do this, Doug. Let's just take a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to go full throttle into some of these other things we've been talking about. Um, listeners, stick around. We've got Doug Davidson from the city here. We're Very exciting topics. We'll be back right after this commercial break. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. 
Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. With trade wars escalating, the market is seeing some serious volatility. Are you nervous? With banks not paying anything on their CDs, where can you put short-term funds for decent growth? Look no further than Century Financial Consultants. We have a new five-year guarantee product paying 3.6%. This product is tax-deferred unlike a traditional CD, and your rates won't change like an indexed annuity. You're guaranteed. Contact Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 324-7914. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is, we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. second hour of Mortgage Matters today. We're joined by Doug Davidson with the city of San Luis Obispo. He fields all the complaints about architectural review. So if you want to call his cell phone, the number is... (laughs) Just kidding. Doug is the Deputy Director of Community Development for the city of San Luis Obispo. And we're... Mike and I would love to just have Doug take over this show and tell us about all the new projects. Um in the city there's so many excite exciting things happening um it's it's great for people who want to live here and want to stay here and have trouble finding housing and so we're talking about you know just how the city is managing that and how some of these new projects are trying to um you know fill that need for people to live here and do it somewhat affordably although i think we're all in agreement that it's going to that this is never going to be a, a truly affordable area. I personally see it, you know, I look at Santa Barbara and how unaffordable that area is. And sure. Just watching us become, you know, just go down that path. I like the work-live <laughs> housing term, right? Work-live. I can live in the city that I work in. I can have my own house in a city that I work in. So many of the people I sit down with 
first time we meet Doug, it's like, okay, we want to buy a house in slow. I'm like, okay, so let's begin. <laughs> and they're like, just kidding. Grover Beach would be great. I'll drive 20 minutes every day. It won't be that bad. But to have these options, now you could bike to work, right? You could hop on a bus and be to work in eight minutes. That's what I'm hoping for. That's a San Luis that I want to see happen. And, you know, I think you do too, Doug, in some regards, but also you're commissioned with this position to make sure we don't build, you know, over and above and beyond the needs of the city, right? Because at the end of the day, we all got to drive on these roads. We all got to live in this community. That's a perfect uh, setup for the discussion. As I said at the top of the hour, there is years of our forecasted growth in the hopper right now. And the city has declared housing a major city goal, and that's in the budget process and one of the top three or four issues that the city wants to pursue. So by doing that, the first step is to get the zoning on the maps to allow for that. And that's where we are now. And as we've talked about, the economy is still booming uh, for local residential and commercial development. Mm -hmm. So the potential to do what you're talking about is really out there in these expansion areas. Yeah. And as I mentioned up front, they're new neighborhoods. I really think if people get that in mind, we're not talking 10, 20, 50 units. We're talking five to 700 units with a variety of size of unit sizes, lot sizes, neighborhood parks, a little bit of neighborhood commercial, getting to what you're talking about, bike paths, the city, another major city goal of the city is multimodal, the term, but getting away from single occupant vehicles and trying to yeah. provide for bike paths. Yeah. Uh, you've got a major bike path right in the vicinity here, the one up near Cal Poly and down to get us down to Bob Jones. Uh, those are in the works. So these neighborhoods, we had talked a little bit about Orchid, but Avila Ranch, I think would be one mentioning for your audience South of Suburban, it's on Buckley Road. It's within the city limits currently, mm -hmm. and that has proposed 720 units, and that's been through the Long Planning Commission, City Council, Environmental Impact Report process. So they're in now getting their public improvement plans to build the roads and drainage and grading and all of that, and then moving on into building permits. Mm -hmm. But that is a complete neighborhood. Yeah as is San Luis Ranch on the Delidio property, 580 units. Again, both of those projects have smaller lot sizes, 3,000 square feet in some instances, to four to 4,500, and thus a much smaller unit size. Well, well, give me an approximation, Doug, of what the unit size would be on a 3,000 lot. I mean, are we thinking like six? 90, 800 square feet? Well, you can go up, so it would, you could get uh, in a little bigger than that. Got you, it. You wouldn't be limited to single story in those cases, possibly maybe even a three story in kind of a transitional from single family to the more multiple family. Mm -hmm. Things get more intense. You can build more units. And both of those projects include really a range from R1, single family, through the ranges up to R4, which is the highest density, multiple family. Mm -hmm. They all include that range. Got it. Yeah, that's how you make a neighborhood, right? Exactly. With a little have... bit of commercial and yeah. parks. Parks are critical. They all have a neighborhood park. Um, the San Luis Ranch is going to have like an, uh, an agricultural center, if you will, is what I read. I don't know if that's 
I don't know how that, I don't know how I even explain that on the radio, but I do think that there's going to be a, a, a They're large... going to reserve some portion of the property to be a working farm. I think right? that's, yeah. Yeah, they have to, under the city's laws to annex, you need to preserve, in their case, they have the longstanding uh, field, agricultural field. They need to preserve 50% of that. But then on top wow. of that, there's a slow farm, slow city farm, I think it's called, right there. And the city's a partnership with a nonprofit that runs that, and uh, that's what you're referring to. That would is part of this also, where there's kind of an agricultural learning center. Mm-hmm. The idea is to mm-hmm. bring in kids from the elementary school, farm-to-table type philosophies shared. Uh, it, it looks like a really neat uh, idea they have there for an agricultural farm and uh, some exhibits to go along and explain things. One of the big rebuttals that I see to some of these new projects is the the stress or or the the emphasis of the projects on the multimodal transportation, like you're saying, and the emphasis on bike paths and things like that that would alleviate any kind of traffic issues from these new neighborhoods. And the rebuttals that I see are just basically offering a lot of skepticism towards how many people are actually going to be riding their bikes around town. And, you know, it's just, it's not, they just don't think it's that likely and that really all it's going to do is create traffic congestion issues. And, you know, so that's one of the big rebuttals I see. Why does the city think that the multimodal transportation and the bike paths is the correct way to go? You're right up on the local hot uh, current trends <laughs> Try to be. for sure. Because <laughs> that is one that is really getting more attention now, particularly it's a, called the Anholm bike path area north of the freeway, and that's been going through public reviews that are really contentious. And you really see when we're at the room full of people at City Hall Chambers, it's it's split down the middle. And you're right, the getting people out of your cars. What the the issue really comes down to more and more, we are providing a lot of ways for you to travel around town outside of your car, particularly if you're a poly student over there on Foothill or something. You're not going to drive your car to poly. Ride, walk, or transit. And like I said, these neighborhoods will be including that as well. So I think for, as it's called, trip reduction, reducing the number of Mm -hmm. vehicle trips, Mm -hmm. I think we can make some real progress. What the issue that comes up always is even your student, they're going to have a car to go see mom and dad or go to the grocery shopping, and that pertains to most everybody else. So it's more of a where do I put my car to store it, really, versus – Right. Am I driving it around back and forth all day? Maybe not. So that's that's really an issue. And then when we really look ahead into the future, which might not be so far out in the future with the autonomous vehicles and Uber going way beyond just their uh, call a ride and ride share and car share. Oh, they're so bringing dinner to your house now. Things are – I think that's moving faster than anyone expected. So yeah. I think – we're slowly but surely getting there, but a lot of – and you know, it is a generational one at the hearing I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the older residents, they, for one thing, their parking on the street would be affected by improved bike paths. That doesn't go over well in already congested neighborhoods. And then, yeah, sure, bike riding's not for, for everyone by any means. Well, one could argue, and I know you can't answer this, Doug, but the assessor is going to be getting quite a bit more – 
um, APNs on the books, meaning property taxes are going to accelerate with just from a revenue standpoint, that goes back into public transit. That goes into services that provide a neighborhood with security. That goes into the roads. I think it's a community issue that we have to address. There's nothing wrong with riding your bike. There's something wrong with riding your bike on like Tank Farm Road. You know, I don't want to ride where a car's going 55. But if we can have these smaller commercial little nooks and crannies in a neighborhood or like a bodega like they do in Sacramento, like in some of these major cities, a bodega is just a small market in a neighborhood that doesn't sell alcohol or wine or spirits. It just sells, you know, convenience items. I think you can get people walking around. When I think of going out to eat, I instantly think of, I got to go downtown to slow. So could you put a restaurant closer to my house, Doug? I'm right here in <laughs> Tank Farm and uh, Broad, right where it intersects. But then you got you know stuff going on there, right? Bonetti Ranch on the corner of South Higuera and Tank Farm. Yeah, that's going to be a cool little project that the community's really embraced. It's that concept of a public market. Yeah, you might have seen larger scales. You know, Grand Grand Avenue in L.A. is a huge version of it, but. It's the same concept where you'd have a marketplace with some little winery tastings. I heard Figaro Mountain shops, be in there. Maybe. Figaro yeah. Mountain. Is it Kraken Coffee is uh, signed up? Kraken? Not sure. K- oh, yeah. K-R-A-K-E-N. Yeah, yeah. They're down in Avila. Right. Yep. They're signed on there. And there's That'd be great. historic buildings there, if you've noticed in the past, kind of falling down. They've rehabilitated those. They're going to have a little produce area for kids and public art, a brewery, a little retail, and even some housing. You know what we really need? We need another yogurt shop, Doug. (laughs) And we need a coffee shop. And we need maybe like another Cal Poly uh, athletic wear shop that sells things. Because we don't have enough of those. (laughs) Don't you guys kind of refer to these as kind of like a European model kind of thing? Because a lot of the European cities, they actually have that kind of thing where you have the smaller stores, the smaller, you know, know, they're encouraged to get out of your cars more. Exactly. And some of these folks uh, have referenced European models when they're showing their inspiration to us up on the screen. Exactly. And it's really a lot better. I've I've seen a few European communities like that where I've been there and, it's just amazing that people you, you know your neighbors more. Actually, you get out more. It's part of it's yeah. part of owning a home in that neighborhood. That's why the homes are not so big, right, Doug? I mean, it's like, hey, this is where you have intimate family time and sleep and get out and see the beautiful San Luis Obispo. Yeah, absolutely. Engage. We've talked a lot about these new larger projects that are going on. Um, there's infill. Um, opportunities as well in the city. I was, in fact, driving here. I was so excited to see these large metal beams going up uh, on Santa Rosa and Higuera, in between Monterey and Higuera, where the old Shell gas station was. And um, it's been oh, at a vacant lot now for a couple of years. It was exciting to see some activity going on Vertical. there. Yeah. Getting that corner cleaned out. That's a prime corner in, or prime block in downtown San Luis Obispo. And it's nice to see it not – I mean, it, it gave me hope that it's not going to be a fenced-in block forever. Yeah, that was a very well-received project right there on the corner. It's going to be the Monterey corner going up first. And that's mixed use but a little different, i.e. no residential. So that mm-hmm. has office and retail. That site's a little tricky for residential. It's a confluence of highways, two major streets on either side of it. So. Mm-hmm. 
there was a little question about the appropriateness of housing there. But in that general area, there will be some mixed-use development. That one is, as you said, breaking ground and getting uh, wood or metal up in the air and moving forward. That's exciting. Um, are there... Do you, are there many infill projects, you know, that are residential in nature that are coming to you or? We are seeing a lot of that just along with everything else that is really booming as well. And those, let's face it, are where the controversy arises because these large open or expansion areas, they are out in areas where there are no existing residences, mm-hmm. right? It's it's kind of interesting. We'll have a hearing on some of these larger projects, and it's the one in an existing R1 neighborhood that really pulls the, the people in. Mm-hmm. And we have had some of those. 71 Palomar was a really controversial one as well that went through recently, got appealed, as I mentioned, that multiple appeals up to the city council and just... We really kind of, the community was really divided on that one. It was zoned for R4. It was right near the Valencia Apartments, but it had an historical home on the site and other more established neighborhoods on the other corner. So those are the most controversial residential infill, because typically the infill is going to be two or three stories possibly with the R3 zone where you can do that next to the R1 or commercial versus R1. Mm Mm-hmm. I did mention the McDonald's site across Foothill from that is 22 Choro. Perfect example of that. That's commercial property there on Foothill. That's Academy, right? What's the the name of the place? I can't think. I know. Sorry, I cut you off. I forget. But that one's commercial, and then right in the back is residential, small scale, single family. Okay. So that was, was controversial, and that's what we're... We talked about trying to define what is compatible and stepping back some of the area. That project did some of it, but now that we're talking about the McDonald's site, a lot of folks continually bring up 22 Choro, and uh, some members of the community don't think that was a good project in that location at all. So that's really where the controversy is, uh, mostly. Well, those it's those infill projects that are impacting existing residents more so than those outer expansion areas, like you're saying. So it, it makes sense that you're going to get a little more yeah. of the controversial You've feedback. got your yeah. roots in, everything's hunky-dory, and one morning you wake up and now you can't see, you know, Mount Madonna. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you do hear that a lot. It, it's a lot of, you know, the, the view. view corridors are getting impacted or, you know, these larger... I mean, that that one, it's hard because there's not been anything there for a long time. And prior to there being nothing, there was a gas station, which, you know, is not a multi-story type of uh, building or anything. So it's it's always been this one-story use forever. And now all of a sudden, what is it, three stories, pretty mm-hmm. large, you know, not the, uh, I mean, we're taking up most of the footprint of the lot with the building and, and that. So it's a big change to that neighborhood. Although, you know, I would also volley back that, you know, we're blocking the view of the golden one and the, uh, you know, the Popeyes <laughs> over there, too. So is it all bad? <laughs> um, some, you mentioned uh, some biology earlier about organisms being stagnant. And I think there's also a, mic- there's a, a microeconomic piece to this, too. You know, keeping young professionals and or more individuals in this town helps the heartbeat of the retail and business commerce downtown. 
not only that, it keeps these great minds here. I mean, we get people, Cal Poly is a terrific school. I mean, combating with Stanford and MIT for computer science, these, these young kids can't stick around. I'd love them in our community. Who knows what they would do? Who knows what they would contribute back to the nonprofit charitable? It goes on and on and on, right? Yeah. Mind Body was a perfect example of that in their new, relatively new still campus on Tank Farm. And one we're looking at uh, coming up here in a couple weeks at the ARC is ProMega, an existing laboratory and high-tech firm that has a lot of local employers. They are expanding big time, 140,000 square foot building. Employees are employers. Square footage of 140,000. Employees is in the hundreds. I'm not sure of the exact number. Got it. But an example of a local firm. And another major city goal of the city is creating head of household, is the term jobs. So MindBody, ProMega, and others like that, and more of the high-tech business, those are good opportunities, and we try to encourage and work with them as as quickly and as efficiently as we can in the process to get Mm -hmm. them going. Mm -hmm. I got a comment, too, if I can make it. Uh, There's been in in the news a lot lately kind of problems with, like, noise ordinances and stuff like that when you're putting housing that's near a business district, like, uh, one that's coming to mind is a car wash yeah. downtown. And how are we going to remedy situations where you're going to have a business that maybe has been there for quite a while and then all of a sudden you're going to put up housing next to it and then you've got the people complaining about the noise. Well, the car wash was there, whatever was there before, and why should they be penalized so much? So I'm I'm, I'm not – Dogging, I'm just saying, how are we going to remedy those kind of situations where there's going to be a business that maybe makes a lot of noise and you're going to have to put housing next to it? Yeah, you're particularly referring to Quickie Car Wash, I Mm -hmm. think, on Broad Street. There is a lot of concern from the residential neighbors right in back of that. So a car wash is a very uh, big noisemaker. So those are difficult, and we're still working with that owner on what he can do to reduce the noise as we speak. But how to handle that, it just really, that's where good planning would come in to really look at, is that appropriate when we have new opportunities for that? And if so, how is it set back? How is the noise mitigated? And that's going to be another huge issue as we encourage more residents downtown. Not that type of noise, but party noise and late night activity noise with the mixed use, right? With hundreds of residents downtown now. Yeah. So it's the same kind of how is that going to be balanced and addressed with kind of competing objectives that we have as the downtown is the entertainment core, plus we're encouraging more and more housing there. I'm starting to not want your job more and more as this hour goes on, Doug. <laughs> I mean, you got this... You got this utopian, not utopian, that's not the right word. You've got this grandiose plan of what you want to make the city, right? The city's amazing. Um, but you also don't want to do too much because it's, it's a piece of art right now. Yeah, you both mentioned uh, that. And just a word about that. These projects, and you've mentioned it, have been in the works for years on the maps, So that's a lot of our conversation, for instance, the Orchid area and these others. But to a lot of the existing longtime neighbors, it's just coming all at once. And it is, like I mentioned, with the amount that we have in now. But it's all, and I'm saying this a lot to folks, that, you know, we've been, this is just, 
the time when it's finally able to start moving forward, but it's been planned for for years. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if that helps the, the neighborhoods at all, but just to make the point that these things just aren't being dreamed up last week or last mm-hmm. year, uh, they take some time and it does um, implement the housing that the city's uh, trying to provide and as um, we also talked about, keeping us in our city limits, so maybe going up and intensifying within versus getting outside into the more rural areas and expanding out there. Yeah, the smart growth. So Monterey, from basically downtown as it shoots out towards Grand Avenue where Cal Poly starts, that's a great stretch of street that I think there could be a lot of development on. I mean, like upwards. Are, are you reading the staff reports that we're just preparing now before I come on the air here? That's exactly what we've just Doug. been talking about. Or maybe you picked that up at the workshop. No, I think I just kind of have a feel for that area. You know, we, we One of our offices is near there, so we frequent those restaurants at lunchtime and we're just kind of like, what could go here? You know, There's a lot of development potential there. It's underdeveloped and that's been, you know, with the historic uh, auto dealers and just a lot of open kind of blank space up there. Mm -hmm. So in this zoning update I'm talking about, we have specifically pinpointed just the area you're talking about. Actually, it would start from Santa Rosa to Pepper, which Mm -hmm. is the railroad. And then we want to do the second half of it up to Grand and the highway on-ramp as well. But that first part of it would allow the more intensive downtown core development standards, height, mostly height, maybe some more floor area, Mm -hmm. allow that to extend up the Monterey Corridor. Mm -hmm. Because that Monterey Corridor you refer to is part of the downtown. Mm -hmm. So that's that's in the works as an outcome of this zoning ordinance update as well. You close your eyes and you visualize um, State Street in Santa Barbara. It's a very long street. I mean, they spread out the commerce, so it's not just a bunch of people all in one place. I think you do that you because I think what a lot of people are thinking is that town's going to be so crowded. You know, like I want to go to Kreutzberg and get a coffee in three minutes. I don't want to wait for eight minutes, which is you know a first world problem, really. Yeah. But you 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 build out Monterey. Maybe you put some housing over there on top of another Kreutzberg. You know make make more restaurants over there you spread out the area that that people know and love is downtown exactly also, and that's right below the historical district i mean you'd have mill street above it right mm-hmm. you'd have peach and palm and right one project that you'll like then because that's exactly what you're talking about has been approved should be getting its building permit shortly is monterey and toro if you can kind of picture that just uh two blocks up on Monterey from Santa Rosa, mm-hmm. and that's a mixed-use project with some retail, maybe a small restaurant on the ground floor, and then three stories of residential above. Yeah. So the area is already starting to attract, and we're encouraging it as well, uh, more mixed-use development in that Monterey corridor. So where Smith Volvo is? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> it's interesting. I've All the projects that I've seen discussed. It's a lot of the dense mixed use. Those are kind of the themes I see with these new projects. I can't help but think that the traditional single family home with a yard is going to, it's going to be extinct before too long. It seems, or it's going to be so desirable that it's going to be astronomically expensive um, to own something like that. I've got one. I know I do too. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, that's a, (sighs) 
to hang on to that. <laughs> right. right? It's, right. It's going to be a dinosaur here before too long. It's well, it frees up. It frees up the activity. So, a house goes on the market right now. It's not a mixed use house. It's one of these houses you talk about, Dan. It's a single family with a with a yard. Oh my gosh! Look, we can park our cars in a garage. Um, if these other housing options come to the table. It would free up your opportunity to make an offer on that single family residence and have, shall I say, less competition. Or it's, or it's so desirable because they're, they don't make them anymore that it just becomes extremely competitive and extremely expensive to own the traditional single family home. Time will tell. Yeah. Input, <laughs> Doug. Nothing. I can't disagree with that because, yeah, what we've been talking about all morning is going away from that classic kind of single-family residential model with all of this stuff. In the neighborhoods, downtown, it's not where the current development trends are going at all for all the reasons you've talked about, the market and maybe uh, demographic changes, land availability. And while I love my front and backyard, it's where I spend all my time, I also appreciate the desire to not sprawl. Because that yeah. too, I think is, I think that's one of the things that I don't like about Los Angeles, larger cities. Yeah, yeah. Where you just lack those green belts and lack that open space. And that's one of the best qualities we have here is the um, outdoor environment and the green space and the natural beauty. So I like, I mean, I, I feel like it's a necessity to grow that we grow up and, and do these denser projects, but it's, um, you know, I am thankful that I have my mm-hmm. my little uh, single family home. <laughs> we have a, a only a couple minutes left for today's show. Doug, great show! That hour flew by. Thanks for all it your really input. Really did, yeah. Man. I'm sure there's stuff you wanted to touch on. We just don't have time to. But I wanted to give you a little bit of time to mention anything else to our listeners or or things that you thought would be you know needed to be said today that maybe didn't. Maybe you hit them all. I really did. I think Good. generally and. Any anyone call in this morning at all? We some, had some earlier, yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes when we get on a good topic, that's uh, it's more about listening and absorbing the information. But right. you know, knowing that there are a lot of people who are listening, if someone wants to get involved and have their voice heard about some of these projects, what's the best way to for them to do that? Uh, thank you for that. It's a perfect way to close. Then go to the city's website, slowcity.org. And we have got a lot of things on there. Go to community development, and then you can pick and choose. The projects we've talked about will be highlighted. The zoning update will be highlighted. My name is in there, uh, Doug Davidson, ddavidson at slowcity.org. You could email me and get more specifics. But I'd start with the website. We're trying to get more and more information on there for the public. Yeah. So you have a lot of information. Is there an opportunity to comment on these things on the website? Or is that more of like, you know, attend the meetings and... Yeah, that's a good question. We're more and more moving into with social media and websites. Comment can be taken at any time. Either with me, there are places to do it on the website. You can attend the more public more formal public hearings or the more informal workshops. There's lots of ways to participate. And if anyone has any questions, they can contact me and I'll point them in the right direction. So give us your contact one more time, Doug, please. Yeah, D Davidson, D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N at slowcity.org, O-R-G. And the number is 781-7177. That's my direct line. Excellent. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. 
Yeah, that was great. It's great information. I love getting, uh, you know, hearing about all these new projects. It's, it's exciting for us. I know a lot of people out there are really interested in seeing not only, you know, the growth that's occurring, but how the growth will be occurring in the city um, and, you know, where it's going to be occurring. So it sounds like there's a lot of different things going on. 2,500 units in the works in various phases. Get pre-approved, people. That's right. So, yeah, if you're interested in... Um, learning more about these projects or owning one of these homes, uh, we'd love to help you with that process. You can visit our website at centralcoastlending.com. You can call any of our offices. One number rings them all, 543-LOAN. That's 805-543-5626. We'll be back next week with another edition of Mortgage Matters. Have a great weekend. Happy Mother's Day.